101.1. Current events, personal values, political and social issues, technology, wars and tensions. Join us for the next hour to discuss and learn how the things happening in our world today point to God's prophetic word as signs of the times. Welcome to a special edition of Signs of the Times. I'm your host, Greg Hilt, and thanks for joining us. Pastor Mark is on vacation this week, but he wanted to share a recent teaching from our midweek service at Calvary Knoxville. We just completed a biblical tour through the book of Ezekiel, and he thought what better thing to share with our prophecy peeps than his teaching of Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39. We talk about it almost every week on this program, so it makes perfect sense to share it with you right here, right now. Now, if you've got a Bible nearby, please open to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 38, as Pastor Mark teaches us about one of the most captivating and important prophecies in God's Word on this special edition of Signs of the Times. Now, where we left off last time is really right at where we are historically right now. This is a prophetic book. And when you got into chapter 37, it really started talking about 1948. Uh, It talks about the bones coming together. That was the nation of Israel coming back into the land, being born as a nation. Uh, They're standing up as an army. And remember, they were there and the skin came on the bones and there was a mighty army, but they didn't yet have breath in them. And uh, again, in 37, you see the breath come in at some point, but it was the whole picture was that'll be later. The, the lack of breath that's emphasized when they're first back is that the Spirit of God is not yet in the nation. God has not breathed His life back on them. When the nation rejected their Messiah uh, back in 32, 33 A.D., uh, God said He put a veil over their eyes. There, there's a, there's a, a, a blindness, the Bible says, in part. Not completely, but a blindness in part on the nation of Israel until God opens their eyes again. And that's been for the last 2,000 years. That blindness, that veil that's been on their eyes, except for a remnant, God has some, again, there's, maybe you're here tonight as a Jew and you're saved. Okay, so there's Jews that have gotten saved over the centuries coming into the kingdom, but a very small percentage compared to the Jewish people and the Jewish nation since 2,000 years ago. And so there is that remnant that God has, um, if you will. And so now we're up to the point where in this particular particular passage in 38 and 39, this is where God opens the nation's eyes once again in the last days. So they're back in the nation. There's going to be a battle. The next thing we're watching for, there's a couple things we're watching for prophetically, and we don't know when uh, the Lord's coming back. Um, you know, but, but the bottom line is, as he says, be ready at all times. And as I, you know, I think of oftentimes, even if the Lord doesn't come back in my lifetime, it won't be long until I go to him. So I need to be ready. You know, I'm recognizing that I'm getting older every day. And so whether or not he comes back in my lifetime, which I believe that he will, I will certainly be going to him very soon. And even if he doesn't come back in our generation, which I believe he will, we will all be going to him within a generation. So we we need to be ready. And the Lord said to be watching and to be ready for his return. 
And so uh, this is going to be when it happens. So we're watching for the rapture of the church. We're also watching for this battle that we're now up to in chapter 38 and 39, where Russia and other nations are joined together, and they're going to come against the nation of Israel. And, um, and so these are the next things. Now, which happens first? We don't know. Do they happen simultaneously? We don't know. But we do know that in chapter 38, we're going to see over and over, he says, this is the very end. That term that's used, latter, L-A-T-T-E-R, the latter days, it's always a prophetic signification of right at the time of the Lord's second coming. Okay, you have the last days, then you have the latter, L-A-T-T-E-R, latter days. I'm saying that's the only thing I'm thinking latter, but uh, L-A-D-D. Um, but either way, this is where we are in chapter 38. So I'm going to give kind of a running go. I'm not going to you know, go through this whole thing again. If you missed the tape last week, I encourage you to get it and catch up. But now we see all these armies. And the amazing thing about this, I'll point out who they are as I read through it, up through verse 9. The amazing thing about this is, is all the nations that are mentioned here are for, are for the first time in world history all allied together. There's never been a time when all these nations, some of them together, some of them not together, yes. But there's never been a time when all of them were allied as friends together or willing to work together until right now for thousands of years of world history. So what we're seeing is the very setting that God says we should be watching for, uh, near where God's going to pour His Spirit out at least on the nation of Israel, the formulation is now in place. Now we don't know the timing of that. God didn't say, I'm going to get them there, and then next week it'll happen. It could be years, it could be a week, it could be a month, we don't know. We're just to be ready. But when I read this, it's amazing to me to realize how ready we are. Uh, again, I'm going to read through, I said, the first nine verses, because that's what we did last week, and just kind of touch briefly on it, and we'll head right on. Notice what it says. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, this, um, verse 1, verse 2 now, Son of man, set your face against Gog, the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. Rosh is Russia, Meshach, Moscow, Tubal, Tablus. These are all in Russian areas. Uh, they're uh, north of the Caucasus Mountains. And again, historical. Whenever you see the prophets writing, they use the historical names of the land and territory because back then it wasn't called Russia. Um, it wasn't called Moscow. Okay, it was called Rosh and Meshach. So you have to know the ancient names of the regions to understand what he's talking about. Um, we talked about Gog being probably the spiritual entity, the demonic spiritual entity that's leading the earthly Gog. That is, there's an earthly leader that's leading this, this army of Magog, which is the Russian army. But there's probably also, I think, very possibly a demonic leader of that whose name very well might be Gog. Uh, we'll find out one day. But either way, he's leading them. And he says, prophesy against them and say, thus says the Lord God, behold, I'm against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, basically Russia. I will turn you around and put hooks in your jaws and lead you out. With all your army, your horses, and your horsemen, all splendidly clothed, a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. And we talked about that last week. They still use swords in many of the Russian, um, uh, uh, much of the Russian army, even riding horses now because of the mountains of Russia. They still do that today. Uh, look who's going to be with them now. So it's going to be Russia, but also be Persia. That's today we call that Iran. It was called Persia in that day, but Iran. Ethiopia, really Sudan would be what that's talking about, the region of Sudan, and Libya, which is still current, are with them, all of them with shield and helmet, Gomer and all its troops, that's a portion of Turkey, the house of Togarma from the far north, and all its troops, many people are with you. So what he's saying is there's going to be a conglomeration of Russia, Iran, Sudan, Libya, and Turkey. There'll be others joining them, but they're going to be the five major nations leading this push against Israel. Guess who is all allied and, and right now working together in the Middle East? All these that are mentioned here. And literally on the border of Israel is, is Russia, 
And of course, Turkey's on the border because that's where their nation is. Iran is there because their armies are there. Now, it's really Syria, but Iran's army and people are there. So I'm not saying, you know, we don't know when this is going to take place, but all the players are in place. This could happen at any moment. Now, he makes an interesting statement there. He says, I will turn you around and put hooks in your jaw. It might be that something's going to happen where the Russian forces will temporarily leave and God turns them around and pulls them back. I'm not, not quite sure what he means there in the terminology. I'll turn you around. But the reason I say that, it may just be they're going to stay there. And that's just the terminology that God is using that we don't really fully understand. But if you see Russia leave, don't think, oh, that means, okay, it's not time. It's not going to happen. No. You see Russia leave, that may just be falling right in place. So what he's saying is going to happen. And then he'll put the hooks in their jaw to bring them back. I believe we now know what the hooks in the jaw are. We talked about that last week. Probably the gas and oil reserves that have now been discovered in Israel. He says, prepare yourself and be ready, you and your companies that are gathered about you, and be a guard for them. He says, so Russia, you're going to be a guard for them. Now, guys, think about this. Back then, Russia, this area of Rosh, Meshach, and and, and Tubal, they were not a world power. They were nothing. They were like tribes out in the middle of nowhere. There was no, there was no uh, power to them. They, sure, they had horses and bows and arrows, but they were not a world power. They didn't have the ability to supply protection or arms for anyone. And so Ezekiel's prophesying, hey, that region up there that's just kind of a, kind of a bunch of, tri- you know, tribes with bows and arrows and horses, you're going to be not only leading this battle with all these other armies, you're going to be a guard for them. And supplying all their military. That is exactly what Russia is doing today. Russia is the supplier of all these nations we just read. They supply that whole region. And not only that, Russia is the big brother in the playground that protects them. Russia right now is guarding all these other nations that are over there because they're the ones that have the most military might. So the amazing thing you need to realize is that as Ezekiel was writing this, it was nothing like this in Ezekiel's day. Nothing like it. And it's exactly what we see today. You're also going to see Ezekiel um, try to describe these the battle implements and the way he's going to do this and the best that he can. Remember, they didn't have tanks in his day or missiles or rocket launchers. And we're going to see Ezekiel do. I think he does a really good job, actually. But notice verse, verse 8. He says, after many days, you will be visited in the latter years. There's that prophetic uh, a word that lets you know. It's talking about the very end. In the latter years... You, that is Russia, will come against, will come into the land of those brought back from the sword and gathered from many people on the mountains of Israel, which had long been desolate. That is when God regathered the scattered Jews from all over the world back in 1948 and brought them back into the nation. Now, it didn't start in 48. They already were being regathered, but they've really been regathered since 48. They became a nation in 1948. By the way, David Ben-Gurion citing Ezekiel when he declared them a nation. That God had promised they'd be a nation. And so he's saying, this is going to happen. It's long been desolate, 2,000 years almost, is what Ezekiel was seeing. But we now know historically has taken place just recently. They were brought back out of the nations, again, all over the world. And now all of them dwell safely. We talked about that. They have a very powerful military, and that's what it's talking about. They have the ability to protect themselves. Verse 9, you will ascend, that is Russia and these armies, coming like a storm, covering the land like a cloud, you and all your troops and many peoples with you. So we think about all these nations together. They're going to be coming in in just a massive horde, a massive horde. Um, it's interesting. The Jews, the Israel Israelites today, again, they, they don't really necessarily, uh, the majority of them are secular. But some of those that are connected to the military are aware of this passage. And although they don't necessarily follow God, they have this built-in fear of God that's in them. 
And, um, and they know where Russia is going to be coming through. There's a major valley up there near Armageddon. That's just this massive valley that comes from the north where all those armies are going to be coming from. It's the smoothest passage between the mountains right into uh, Israel. That's exactly where it says they're going to be coming from. And it's interesting. Um, they, they know, I, I remember hearing uh, somebody talk about the fact that they know that's where Russia is coming through, you know, when they come through, if indeed they do. If they, if they, if, if, we know it's going to happen. But if they believe it's going to happen, but if they believe that, I mean, how prepared do you think they are? Again, you wonder about what kind of provisions they're making already for this. We don't know. But either way, it says in verse 10, thus says the Lord God, on that day it shall come to pass that thoughts will arise in your mind and you will make an evil plan. So right now, I don't know if they have that evil plan. I don't know whether or not Putin and and others are mulling over this. What can we do? But he says there's going to come a thought, no doubt planted there by Satan to go in and to overtake Israel, to wipe them out. Now remember, Russia's benefit is is that they get all the goods. See, see Iran and the, and the uh, Muslim nations around them, they simply want the Jews destroyed. Get rid of them. It's a religious battle. It goes thousands of years back, um, you know, to uh, Isaac and Ishmael, if you will. And so there's this battle that's been going on for thousands of years, started as a family feud, and now it's quite the family feud, if you will, there in the Middle East. And they're not all, they're not all uh, Arabs, don't get me wrong, which are the descendants of Ishmael. But uh, the majority of them are Muslim, and they want to wipe out uh, the nation of Israel. So they don't have the ability to do it, but they believe that Russia could make that possible. So if Russia makes a deal with them, look, we'll help you wipe out Israel, and you'll have your dream of no Jews in the land, force them into the Mediterranean like you've been wanting to do for all these years. You can have the land. But if we do that, then we get something too. Whatever you want, you can have it. We get all the gas reserves all the oil, the silver, the, glo- the gold, the goods, the cattle, everything that, that's there, we get that. I believe that's going to be a negotiating tool that they're going to agree to say, look, we don't care about all that. You can have all that. Just destroy the Jews and we'll be happy. We'll take the land over. You can have the goods and we'll work as a team. And I think this is the evil plan that they're going to come up with. Look at verse 11. You will say, I will go to a land of unwalled villages. Again, this would have been shocking to Ezekiel. And what do I mean by that? In Ezekiel's day, every city had a wall around it. Every city. Because you couldn't survive in that day. You'd have just marauders coming through and attacking your cities. So every city, big and small, built a wall around it. I think the only city in Israel today that has a wall right now, currently, as far as I know, uh, is Jerusalem. But the other walls have been long torn down and long gone, if you will. There's, it's, it is literally, when he wrote this, it was a land of walled villages. It is now literally a land of, guess what? Unwalled villages. None of the ancient ruins that have been rebuilt, the cities and towns that are there, there's no walls protecting them. So, again, this is exactly what he was, again, when you think about, you know, the Bible says that when the prophets wrote down the word of God, they were often often confused. You know, how can this be? How could we be in the land? Because he didn't know how long it would take. This is 2,600 years ago. So he didn't know what it would be like 2,600 years later, but God knew. And so as God is giving the vision now into the heart of Ezekiel, he's saying, there's not going to be any walls around the cities. He's got to be going, well, you're kidding. No walls? Am I hearing you right, Lord? You wonder how often the prophets, I'm sure they didn't doubt that much because God would have been speaking so loudly. But this is where they are today. They're a land of unwalled villages. He says they're going to go up against that. The Russians will and these others with them. He says, I will go, they're going to say, I'm going to go to unwalled villages, and they're going to say, I will go to a peaceful people who dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates. And again, that's how they are today. 
Again, they have a very mighty military, a very powerful military. So they dwell very safely. They're not worried about their neighbors. They have nuclear weapons. They have the rods of God that we talked about last week. You know, these satellites, they can drop these rods from, from, um, uh, in orbit that literally can destroy, uh, armies and, 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 and nations. I mean, from there. So they're very safely dwelling and, and the world knows that. So this is what this is referring to. Um, but again, he says, we're going to do this and notice why they're doing it, uh, to take plunder. And to take the booty, that's to reward all the things that the land has to offer them. To stretch out your hand against the waste places that are again inhabited. Now the Jews are back in the land re-inhabiting all these places that have been desolate for 2,000 years. And against a people gathered from the nations, again as they have, who have acquired livestock and goods who dwell in the midst of the land. Now again, there are, it's filled with livestock and goods. You go to Israel now and you see all the cattle, you know, and just, it's just, there's, there's a sheep and goats and cattle. It's just, I mean, it's, the land is just exploding in fruit, if you will, with animals and trees and people. It's, it's again, God has revived that land. It's, it's really quite amazing. Um, if you want to see something really interesting and you know how to do that with Google Earth, just go and look at Israel and the surrounding nations and zoom in enough to look. You're going to see all this brown from every nation around them. It's all desert and brown. You come to this one little sliver of Israel and it just pops green. How'd that happen? Because God said, when I bring you back in the last days, I'm going to make you fruitful. I'm going to bring the fruit back to life. I'm going to cover your fields with cattle and, and, and sheep and all these things. I'm going to make your trees to grow again. And God is keeping true to his word. Everything he said he's going to do, he's doing. And so, again, that's what they're going to have. Now, notice this. We're getting to some other nations that are going to be involved, but not involved militarily, but they're going to be involved. Look at verse 13. He says, Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish and all their young lions will say, have you come to take plunder? Have you gathered your army to take booty, to carry away silver and gold, to take away livestock and goods and to take great plunder? Again, the great plunder, no doubt referring to the natural gas and oil that has now been discovered there in recent years. This is interesting to me because Sheba and Dedan um, is Saudi Arabia. Now, when you see Sheba and Dedan, the merchants of Tarshish, and their young lions, they're, they're making, they're saying something, but they're not doing anything. Note that. They're, they're going, what are you doing? Why are you attacking Israel? But they don't take any action. Okay? So, there has to be a setting of these nations in such a position that they wouldn't do anything or couldn't do anything. Okay? Sheba and Dedan, guess who that is? That's modern day Saudi Arabia. Have any of you been watching the um, the peace deal they're trying to work out right now with Saudi Arabia and Israel? Who would have ever dreamed that Saudi Arabia would want to once again be friends with Israel? Remember, Saudi Arabia is where Mecca is. That's where the, the center focal point of, of the Muslim religion is. That's the Muslims that want to destroy the Jews. Why would Sheba and Dida and Saudi Arabia start being in the last days, or for any reason for that point, why would they start being more friendly? That doesn't say they defend Israel. They're just not attacking Israel with everyone else. Why would the main place that is the headquarters of Islam not be a part of the attack coming against Israel? Sheba and Dedan are the descendants of Ishmael, Isaac's brother. And although they've had an ancient hatred, it would appear in the last days that God is doing some restorative work in the family. Now, I would say several thousand years is probably too long for the counseling to take effect. But it's taking effect, I believe. I think that what's happening is, is some of the ancient hatred is being overrun by, okay, our dads are both Abraham. And we don't like you, but we're not really wanting to kill you. 
And so let's see if we can't get along. You can things to offer to us. We have things we can offer to you. And so there's kind of this weird, distant, reconnecting half-brother thing going on here with Saudi Arabia and Israel right now, which is very interesting. Um, and if you watch the news at all, if you go to uh, the Israel's news or, or, or any of that, you watch international news, you'll see this. They're working on it. It doesn't mean that has to be in place for this to take place. But I find that interesting because they're not going to be taking part of this battle. They're going to be saying, you know what, we're not going to do that. There's another conspicuous one missing here, at least from our generation, that has always hated Israel, and that is Iraq. But if you remember, uh, in Desert Storm, Iraq was neutralized, and now Iraq has no real power military to do anything, and they're just conspicuously left out of this. Now, who is Tarshish? Some believe Spain, some believe England. We don't know for sure. Um, it's funny to me that we can't nail that down. There's not enough history to nail that down. But many believe that it is England. If indeed it is England, um, it talks about the young lions. That is those who came out of England. That would be America. So when people say, is America mentioned in prophecy? Well, I can't say for sure they are. But if America is mentioned in prophecy, it might be right here. We may be referred to as the young lions. Now, if indeed this is talking about America... And Saudi Arabia, and America right now is working with Saudi Arabia to make this deal. If this deal were to happen before a president came in that was pro-Israel, because again, the fact is right now we, we have a very, very anti-Israel president. I'm not saying that in any derogatory way. That's not a political statement. It's a fact. If you just go and look at the, the, the voting record and the things that have been done, this administration is not friendly to Israel, okay? I find that interesting in a lot of prophecy. It doesn't mean that it has to happen before the... 2024 election or whoever whoever else is in there. But it is interesting that this is the first administration, I believe, since America has existed, that if somebody attacked Israel, they might stand back and let it happen. There's never been an administration that would do that. It's interesting when you read um, about uh, President Nixon, uh, you read about Israel's history and his connection to there. Um, when all the armies were going to uh, attack against Israel in one of their battles, uh, they knew that they were going to be wiped out. They knew that it was like a, a desperate situation where they couldn't do it unless something major happened. Um, I believe that was the 48 battle when they first declared themselves as a nation. Uh, it may have been later on in the 67. Don't quote me on that. I forget which battle right now off the top of my head because I didn't plan on sharing this. But um, they called up President Nixon and said, you know what? Um, if you don't help us, Israel's going to go down and we're not going alone. You know and I know we have nuclear weapons and we'll never let the Holocaust happen again. So if anybody's going to burn us, we'll burn ourselves, but we're going to burn everybody else in the region. So if America doesn't help, we're all going up in flames. Pretty smart strategy by Israel. But also, it's kind of interesting to find out that when President Nixon was a little boy, he was told by his mother, he, his mother said, one day, um, the nation of Israel is going to, the Jews are going to call on you for help. And when that happens, you better be there. And he said, because of what he was told as a child... He said, whatever you need will be there tomorrow. And of course, that backed off all the other armies that were attacking Israel. And God was already setting the stage long in advance before this battle ever took place. Um, but, you know, it is interesting to see the setup here. You got Sheba and Dedan. You got the merchants of Tarshish and their young lions, maybe America. If it doesn't, again, it doesn't have to be. If, if we get a president in that's pro-Israel, that doesn't mean that this is not, that we're not at this time and this is not true. I just find the timing of all this interesting in a lot of where we are and where Saudi Arabia is and it says the conditions that, that, and all these other nations that are in place. Very interesting. So there's questioning, but nobody does anything. Look at verse 14. Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say to Gog, thus says the Lord God, 
On that day when my people Israel dwell safely, will you not know it? Then you will come from your place out of the far north. By the way, if you go to Israel and just go straight up, guess what's right above them? Straight up is Moscow. Straight above Israel. He said this, he said, Then you will come from your place out of the far north, you and many peoples with you, all of them riding on horses, a great company and a mighty army. Now again, remember, the, the, the Russian military still uses horses in their battles. So this is even current uh, today. You will come up against my people Israel like a cloud to cover the land. So there'll be masses of people coming in with all these armies. It will be in the latter days, that is right before the second coming, that I will bring you, notice who's going to bring him, that I will bring you against my land. Two things to note here. God's going to be the one orchestrating this battle. And whose land does God say it is? It's my land. Now we oftentimes say the land belongs to the Jews and Israel, and it does. And when the Lord comes back, he's going to give them a much larger swath of land than they have even now. It's going to go all the way down to Egypt uh, and all the way over to Iraq. Modern-day Iraq is going to be the size of Israel during the thousand-year reign, the Bible says. So they're going to have a massive nation uh, for a thousand years on this earth. So they've only got a sliver right now, if you will, probably just a tithe. Uh, if you will. But but notice God says, it's my land. And so God says, I'll give it to who I want. That's why when the nation would sin, God took them out of his land and he brought other people in. And then when they repented, he took those people back out and brought those people back in that he promised it to. So God is making it clear, yes, it's my land and I have given it to the nation of Israel. That's why God is very upset right now that the surrounding nations and the surrounding peoples and America included in that would say, you need to give that land up and give part of it over to the Palestinians or someone else. God says, whoa, 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 you're giving my land away? Can you imagine if you walked, if you went home tonight and there was a surveyor in your front yard? All right. And they're measuring off your line and you notice a for sale by neighbor sign. <laughs> yeah, we're going to divide your land up, knock your house down, put some other thing. What? Yeah, we've already got it underway. No, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not happening, right? That's what God says. That's why God's upset. Who are you to start dividing my land up? I own it. Who are you to say who can live there? I said Abraham and his descendants through Isaac would live there. I love Ishmael. I love Saudi Arabia. I love the Palestinians. I love all the surrounding peoples. And, and, and they all have an opportunity to be saved. But this is my land, and I've given it specifically to Isaac's descendants and Jacob's descendants. Again, it would be like if you specifically gave something, you know, your, I don't know, your, your kids are fighting over, you know, the last Twinkie or whatever. Do those things even still exist? Twinkies? If anything makes it through the Great Tribulation, it would be a Twinkie. <laughs> There'll be two things that make it, a Twinkie and a roach outside the package looking at it. Only that can make the wrath of God and survive on the other side. But the bottom line is, is that can you imagine giving some special thing to one of your kids because they did something really special for you or they're really beat or whatever, and, and all the other kids are coming trying to take it away. You're going to say, whoa, 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 stop. I gave that specifically to him, and that's his. That's what God says about this land. I gave it specifically to the nation of Israel. That's why he said, whenever you touch my land, which I've given to the descendants of, of Isaac and Jacob and all that, he said, you're touching me. And so God has been very patient, God has been very gracious, but his anger we're going to see in these chapters comes up in his face and he's like, I've had it, that's enough, and now I'm going to deal, and he does. Unfortunately, we need to take a short break, but when we return, Pastor Mark will pick back up right where he left off as we continue learning about one of the key prophecies in the Bible, Ezekiel 38 and 39. Our Signs of the Time special continues, so don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. 
Signs of the Times now continues. Here again is your host. Welcome back to our special edition of Signs of the Times. I'm your host, Greg Hilt, and thanks for staying with us. While Pastor Mark is on vacation, he wanted to share his teaching of one of the key prophecies for the latter days, and that's what God tells us in Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39. Now, we're about to get into verse 16 of chapter 38, so let's get back into our Bibles as Pastor Mark continues our study. He says, I will bring you against my land. Notice this, so that, I circled that for the first time, had this Bible for years, but that stuck out to me tonight as I was reading over this again, so that the nations may know me. God says, I'm going to do this amazing thing in the last days for Israel so that the world will go, whoa, maybe there is really a God of the Bible. Maybe there is really a God of Israel. He says, yes, they're going to know. This, when this battle takes place, the world will know there's a God, they'll know he's holy, and they'll know he's the God of Israel. Now you say, well, Mark, how could that be? He'll talk about that again more here in just a moment. You say, well, how could that be and the whole world not be saved? Listen, just because people know there's a God doesn't mean they're going to submit to him. And there were many people in Jesus' day when he was walking the earth that recognized him as someone super special, and they chose not to follow. So, don't be stumbled by this. It doesn't mean that people are going to respond. I remember uh, one time, you know, after I first got saved and just being on fire for the Lord, and I was there with somebody who didn't know the Lord, and, and the Jehovah's Witness knocked on the door, and I've been church sharing with this person, and they wouldn't give their life to the Lord, but I was in their house, and a Jehovah's Witness knocked on the door, and so I had a chance to share with them, and it went on for a long time, whatever, and he was just kind of stand back, you know, back there standing and watching me, you know, share with this person or whatever, and as soon as the door closed, he was like, I knew you'd do that. He said, I knew you would do that, and, and, um, and it was a sense of... You, I'm not going to go along with this, but I, I think maybe you're right. He knew there was a God. He saw God working through me at that moment, sharing with this guy at the front door, because that's what God does, because he loves the lost, right? And so he recognized it, but he didn't just say, well, I want to give my life to the Lord. Just because people recognize there's a God doesn't mean they're going to do that. The Jews today recognize there's a God of Israel. They do. They'll say, God got us back in the land. Well, why don't you serve him? Well, you know. Okay, so here we're going to see, God says, I'm going to do this and the whole world is going to know. And when I tell you how I think it's going to happen, you'll see why the whole world is going to know. I mean, God's going to, the whole world is going to know anyway, whether I'm right in my theory on this or not. But he says here that the nations may know me. So the world's going to know when I do this. He says, what? When I'm hallowed, that is when I'm seen as holy in you, Russia, in you, O God, before their eyes. In other words, when you see Russia and these armies coming in, and this tiny nation have victory over them just like that, the world's going to go, oh my goodness, how in the world did that happen? And, and the way that it's going to happen is, is pretty amazing too. Thus says the Lord God, are you he of whom I have spoken in former days by my servants, the prophets of Israel, he says to Russia, who prophesied for years in those days that I would bring you against them? And it will come to pass at the same time when God comes against the land of Israel, notice this, says the Lord God, that my fury will show in my face. You know, God is is by far loving, gentle, sweet, gracious. You, you would look at his face and go, thank you, Lord, what a beautiful face. But when he's angry, you don't want to be on the other side of that. And this is one of those rare times where God says, I'm angry. My fury is now up in my face because you, world, have been in my face. And now I'm going to show you who God is. I'm going to show you who I am. 
I'm going to show you who my son is. I'm going to show that I'm the God of Israel. I'm going to show that I'm going to keep my promises. After I said I'd bring them back and no one would defeat them until the Antichrist comes. And then he's going to be able to put a lot of them to death. And that's going to be a whole other story. That's a different uh, whole Bible study for God trying to save those who are rebellious in Israel, trying to get them to repent, if you will. The Antichrist is going to do that. But God says, my fury will come up in my face. Uh, notice this, for in my jealousy, that he's jealous for his people. And in the fire of my wrath, I have spoken. Surely in that day, there shall be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. Now, if God calls an earthquake great, it's going to be a great earthquake. And notice how he begins to describe this. Again, one of the largest uh, uh, faults in the world is there in Israel. It's gigantic. And when that thing breaks loose, when God shakes that thing and it breaks loose, you know, God, you know, God doesn't need that to make it happen. He can do it without that. But it's interesting how even in the land, God has built in this amazing fault line right there that not only runs up there in that region, but even runs down through the, uh, comes through the Mount of Olives, which is interesting because the Bible says when the Lord comes back in the second coming, he'll set his foot on the Mount of Olives and it'll split, you know, from end to end. So, you know, God has all of his fault lines in place um, to do what he's going to do. Not that he needs them, but they're there. But he says there's going to be a great earthquake. Notice how, how, how huge this earthquake is. So that the fish of the sea, and that probably the, the Sea of Galilee as well as the ocean, uh, the birds of the heavens, the beast of the field, the creeping things that creep on the earth, and all men on the face of the earth will shake at my presence. I mean, wow. This is going to be terrifying. The mountains shall be thrown down. What mountains are going to be thrown down? This, just to think about this. The steep places shall fall. That'll be the steep places of the mountains. And notice this, and every wall shall fall to the ground. There's not many walls over there now. We just talked about that. You've got Jerusalem and the walls they built as barriers for themselves as a nation, walls of homes, those kind of things he may be making reference to. But it's going to be such a powerful earthquake, it's going to collapse things. And I was thinking about this um, in a lot of the, the, the third temple that's going to be built and the whole dispute over the third temple. And again, I remember asking uh, the rabbi there over the Temple Institute years ago, you know, they, they want to put the temple right where the Dome of the Rock is. Okay? Um, and actually, the real third temple, I think, is over to the right of it. And I've always said that's, that's probably where they're going to build it because, again, that's really where I believe that it was. And, but but they, they right now, they're focused on the Dome of the Rock. And I, and I still think it'll be over to the right. But they always said, you know, we can't. I said, what are you going to do if the Dome of the Rock is there? What are you going to do? And he got kind of perturbed. I wasn't trying to make him upset. It was an honest question. But when you ask an honest question of someone who has a deep hurt, you get sometimes answers. You know, he said, well, if they want to squat on our temple, and he went with this whole big thing. I was like, whoa, I said the wrong, I asked the wrong question. You know, um, and he made this big thing. He said, God will remove it when it's time. God will remove it. And I started thinking, you wonder, are the walls of Jerusalem going to collapse when this happens? Is the dome of the rock going to collapse when this happens? And then discussion of where to build the temple. I don't know. Now, it doesn't have to collapse. It can remain in place. And they build right next to it. But some very interesting things running through my mind as I was just meditating on this, the walls falling to the ground. He says, I will call for a sword against Gog through all my mountains, says the Lord. Every man's sword will be against his brother. Now, if you look back at the battles historically, God does this on a regular basis. He causes confusion in the armies against Israel and they turn on each other and kill each other. You remember when Jehoshaphat was going to battle with Ahab 
And they were circling around trying to fight the armies of, you know, they got lost out in the desert and they didn't have enough water. And they went to see Elisha the prophet. And Elisha was so upset with, you know, uh, Ahab. He said, I wouldn't even talk to you if, if, if Jehoshaphat, who's a godly king, was, you know, wasn't with you. But all right, I'll prophesy. And so he prophesies. And, and, and they say, you know, God's going to give you the victory. And the next morning they wake up and, and they, it looks like that toward where the armies of Israel are, it looks like blood. So the armies that are fighting Israel thinks, well, they've all killed themselves. They rush in and Israel starts wiping them out. Then they turn their swords on each other and wipe each other out. And so God has this history of having the enemies of Israel turn on themselves um, on a regular basis. It looks like that's what's going to happen here. They're going to start fighting themselves in the confusion. And the power of the earthquake and all the things that are happening, they're just going to start swinging the sword wildly at everybody around them in panic. And he says, I will bring him to judgment with pestilence and bloodshed. I will rain down on him and on his troops and on many peoples who are with him. Notice this, flooding rain, great hailstones, fire and brimstone. Thus I will magnify myself and sanctify myself and I will be known in the eyes of many nations. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. Now this is amazing here, these last couple of verses. Um, for a number of reasons. You know, a lot of prophecy guys believe there's going to be some type of limited nuclear thing that's going to happen there. And it might be. That may be right. Let me just say that, that may be what's going to happen. Um, they do have nukes now, they, you know, limited field nukes, they call them, and cool nukes and all these different things they give them, you know, that can just destroy a certain area. And you can even go in in a short amount of time without worrying about radiation. I mean, the technology is really advanced, um, you know, when it comes to uh, nuclear weapons. I'm sure that's encouraging. Once we're blown up, at least it'll clear up faster. Um, but it might be. But as I meditate on that, and that's pretty, pretty much predominantly what you hear and, and pretty much what I have thought, and that may be accurate, okay? That may be accurate. But I thought about it. If there's some type of limited nuclear thing that takes place right there, how does that give glory to God? I mean, the world could just go, wow, Israel got the draw on them, and boom. That was amazing. Blew them up, and wow, that, they pulled that one off, right? Whatever this is has to happen in such a way, and he'll talk about it more in chapter 39, it has to happen in such a way that the whole world recognizes that was God. No question, that was God. Okay, he'll drive that point home uh, in, in chapter 39. So how could that happen? Well, I don't know, but I'm going to give you a theory. This is just Mark's theory, so, you know, I'm not saying this is what's going to happen. But it's interesting, um, when I was in the Golan Heights, I never realized, I never thought about it. They have a cone volcano park right up there in the north of Israel, very near where this whole episode is going to take place. And so I thought, that's a cone volcano. They don't have volcanoes in Israel. And I started looking up. They've been dormant now for over a thousand years. Um, and cone volcanoes, there's all different kinds of volcanoes. The cone volcano is very interesting. It's a, again, it looks like a cone. Um, when it releases... It blasts the um, magma so high up in the air, so fast and rapidly, that what it does, it goes up and just solidifies. And it comes back down in giant boulders of, of, of basalt and rock and slams to the ground. As a matter of fact, when it comes back down, it does so much damage, they call it bombs when it goes up. And everything in that whole area and region, the bombs fall on and destroys everything around it. At the same time, when they explode, they cause uh, massive rainstorms. There'll be lightning and rain. 
and hailstones that happened because of all the everything being pushed up. So the rain being pushed up and getting cold. The magma going up and turning into stones, if you will. So you have hailstones. You also have uh, the, the, the word here when it says hailstone is actually the word eben, which is where we get Ebenezer stone, or I can say eben, Ebenezer stone. So it really primarily is talking about rock rather than hailstones. Although I found in cone volcanoes you have rock, you have hail, you have rain, and you also have fire and brimstone. Go look it up. When you get home, look up uh, what comes out when a, when a cone volcano. It is exactly what is described here at the end of Ezekiel 38. And, and what happens is, too, is, is the fire and brimstone, when it comes out, these gases, in, specifically in cone volcanoes, they have these gases that shoot out all directions and right above the ground at a certain level and kill everything within a certain a radius. It's just they burn the lungs up immediately. It's these gases that if there's animal, human, whatever, it just destroys and kills everything just by the gases. And then beyond that boundary of the gases, as it comes back down, it begins to drop these bombs, these giant basalt boulders, boom, 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 all around everything. Guys, I believe what's going to happen is, what happens when, when great earthquakes take place? The earth's core is reopened and rocked. And I believe what God's going to do, and only God can get the glory for this, I believe God's going to bring that dead cone um, um, volcanic field alive. I think the earthquake's going to take place. I think the magma's going magma to break open. I think those things are going to explode. I think it's going to wipe out the armies all around them. There's multiple. There's all over the place up there. I think it'll come out and kill the armies immediately right around it. I think you'll see those things, the bombs, they call them, as they harden, falling back down out of the sky and smashing the armies. I think the whole world's going to say, I mean, think about this. If a nuclear device goes off, it'll be like, wow, that's pretty amazing. But if dormant volcanoes that have been dormant for over a thousand years suddenly come to life at the moment these armies are coming in, those are only two words everybody's going to say. That's God. I may be wrong. If not, it's a fun Bible study. <laughs> or if so, if I am wrong, it's still a fun Bible study. If not, maybe it's a nuclear weapon, and somehow God uses that to show that the way that it happened could have only been God. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm in on that. That could happen. I, whatever he does. I think it's going to be these volcanoes... Um, We'll find out. And so the thing about this is that, well, you know, will we even be here to find out? We don't know because this could be right around the timing of, of the, um, uh, the rapture of the church. Let's go on. Look at chapter 39. He says, And you, son of man, prophesy against Gog and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I'm against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, and I will turn you around and lead you on. There's that turn you around terminology again. I'll bring you up from the far north. Again, they're from Moscow, from the capital. Bring you against the mountains of Israel. Then I will knock the bow out of your left hand and cause the arrows to fall out of your right hand. Now, this could simply be symbolic language as Ezekiel was doing the best that he could to describe what he's seeing. He only knows bows and arrow. But let me read this another way. I will, I will knock the launcher out of your left hand and cause the, um, the um, missiles to fall out of your right hand. Those are also interpretations of those words. Launcher and missile can be used to interpret both of those words. But now, Ezekiel wouldn't even think about launcher or missile. So even in the ancient language, it fits our modern day uh, technology and terminology. He says, you shall fall upon the mountains of Israel, you and all your troops and the peoples who are with you. I will give you to the birds of prey of every sort and to the beasts of the field to be devoured. Again, this is amazing here because, again, the animals are going to be let loose to clean up the land. He says, you shall fall on the open field for I have spoken, says the Lord God. And I will send fire on Magog, possibly from those volcanoes. 
possibly nuclear or whatever, and on those who live securely in the coastlands. Now, this makes some people wonder about if there'll be a limited nuclear exchange. That's possible. But if he's talking about volcanoes, uh, we also know that when they blow up in northern Israel, they make it all the way down to the coast. So fire does land in the coastlands. Back when those things were exploding, uh, when they were active, it would send fire all the way to the coastlands, all the way down to the Sea of Galilee, etc. So either way, it's going to be one of those. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. By the way, let me make this comment. The, the world's not going to be destroyed by nuclear weapons because the Bible tells us that. Okay, That could be some limited nuclear exchange, but we're not going to be wiped out by nuclear weapons. So that's not what it's talking about. Then they shall, then they shall know that I am the Lord. Again, he keeps making a point. This is going to be, everybody's going to know it's God. So I will make my holy name known in the midst of my people, Israel, and I will not let them profane my holy name anymore. Remember when they got scattered around the world, they denied, they denied Christ. And they, they basically were, were, um, profaning the name of the Lord. He says, not after this. When I do this, they're going to know that I'm their God and I'm going to open their eyes that Jesus was their Messiah. And he said, no more are they going to profane my name. So this is when God, at this battle, right afterwards, is when God's going to pour his spirit out on the nation of Israel. Revelation says there'll be 144,000 Jews saved right away. And there's going to be multitudes of Jews saved after that. Notice this. He says, then the nation shall know that I am the Lord, the Holy One in Israel. Surely it is coming and it shall be done. Don't you love the, the, the confidence and finality of God's word on that? It's going to happen, in other words. It's going to happen. I love that. Uh, he says, says the Lord God, this is the day of which I have spoken. Then those who dwell in the cities of Israel will go out and set on fire and burn the weapons, both shields and bucklers, the bows and arrows, the javelins and spears. Again, we would say the launchers and missiles. And they'll make fires with them for seven years. Now, some people try to say this is um, Armageddon. I don't think you're going to see uh, the battle of Armageddon, them making fires with weapons for seven years. The Lord's going to come back and restore the earth. This is a different battle. There's a lot of reasons that this does not line up with the battle of Armageddon. This battle's never happened historically, and it doesn't line up with the battle of Armageddon. Again, we're not going to take the time tonight, but there's multiple reasons it doesn't. One of these is right here. They're going to be doing cleanup for seven years, and of course the Lord's going to come back and do the cleanup himself when he returns, so this doesn't fit the scenario. But this is interesting because now, because of nuclear weapons and field nukes being taken into battle, they now have developed systems in Israel and other places that if they have those, they can convert them into energy. Isn't that interesting? So they can take those weapons and convert them into fuel today. Now, this is another interesting thing that I didn't learn until just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, there's a new material that uh, Russia has been using for the last few years in all their uh, uh, modern warfare equipment, a new material that burns. Their tanks will burn. All these things, that their, their weaponry will burn in the right conditions. And so it's interesting here, maybe it's the nuclear, maybe they're burning up the extra weapons that are brought in. Uh, either way, uh, we know it's going to happen. They will not take wood from the field nor cut down any trees from the forest because they will make fires with the weapons and they will plunder those who plundered them and pillage those who pillaged them, says the Lord. So even as they come in trying to wipe Israel out, Israel's going to wipe them out and get all of their goods, if you will, uh, as they come into the land. It will come to pass in that day that I will give Gog a burial place there in Israel, the valley of those who pass by east of the sea, and it will obstruct travelers. So there's going to be so many dead bodies, uh, the Israel tours are going to be held up. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, if they're still having them then, I mean, it's, it's going to obstruct travelers, you know, um, because they will bury Gog and all his multitude. Uh, therefore, they will call it the valley of Haman Gog. For seven months, the house of Israel will be burying them in order to cleanse the land. That's a lot of bodies. 
Think about that. Seven months of burial. Indeed, all the people of the land will be burying and they'll gain renown on it from the day that I'm glorified, says the Lord God. So the nation, somehow they're going to be involved in, in, in helping to you know, report the bodies and get them buried. We're going to see that it's, uh, it's, it's officials that take the bodies and bury them or the bones, but they're going to be burying these bodies right off the bat, maybe helping themselves initially. The people will. They will set apart men regularly employed with the help of a search party to pass through the land and bury those bodies remaining on the ground in order to cleanse it. So they'll have a, a crew that's hired to do nothing but go and find these bodies and bury them. Okay, because there's going to be so many of them. At the end of seven months, they'll make a search. The search party will pass through the land. And when anyone sees a man's bone, he'll set a marker by it till the barriers have buried it in the valley of Haman Gog. Now, some have, have postulated that maybe that means they are radioactive and they want the specialists to come in and take the bone and bury it. That could be the case. But if it's that radioactive, I don't think you're going to have people just traveling around up in there. OK, so I think this is not so much a radiation thing as it is going to be. You know what? Uh, don't you guys be picking up the bones There could be disease. There could be germs. These are dead. Just don't go collecting, you know, femurs and stuff. Put a flag there. Those that are employed to do this will come get all the bones and they'll bury them together, if you will. And I think that's what's happening. And look at this. It's going to be so many bones. It's going to be like a city. The city would be called Hamanoah, which literally means multitudes. So multitudes will be buried there with this, where they're all wiped out by whatever uh, goes off. By the way, if it was a nuclear weapon, what bodies would you bury? I never thought about that until just now. I think it's a volcano. Anyway, I'm sorry. Let's get back. <laughs> Thus they shall cleanse the land. And as for you, son of man, thus says the Lord God, speak to every sort of bird and to every beast of the field. Assemble yourselves and come. So he's inviting the wildlife to come and eat these people. Um, Gather together from all sides to my sacrificial meal, which I'm sacrificing for you, a great sacrificial meal on the mountains of Israel. All these dead bodies. So he'll use the wildlife to help clean them up. That you may eat flesh and drink blood. You shall eat the flesh of the mighty, drink the blood of the princes of the earth, of rams and lambs, of goats and bulls, all of them fatlings of Bashan, that is the, 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 the cattle. You shall eat fat to your full, and you'll drink blood to your drunk. At my sacrificial meal, which I am sacrificing for you, you will be filled at my table with horses and riders, with mighty men, and all the men of war, says the Lord God. Guys, this always blows me. By the way, if you think, well, that must be Armageddon, because it talks about that in Armageddon. There are multiple battles that talk about all the, the wildlife being gathered to, to eat up the body. So, gross thought, but that's not the only time that it talks about an Armageddon. So, you can't say that's Armageddon because of that. Again, we may have, one day do a study, we talk about all the differences in that, but, but, but that not, doesn't, uh, show it Armageddon at all. But what's interesting about this is, and I've shared this with you guys before, if you've been coming long enough to Calvary, this is an amazing thing. Right there where this battle is going to take place is one of the world's largest, if not the world's largest migration route for, uh, for Europe and the whole Middle East. And every year, literally millions and millions at a certain time of year, these birds just start coming through. And they fill the skies. I mean, every kind of bird you can think of. He noticed he said every sort of bird. I mean, you'll see everything. Storks, flamingos, eagles. I mean, you name it. They're there and they're all just flying, just masses. So much so that bird watchers travel from all over the world during that time to come there and to see all these birds that are landing all over Israel and traveling through. Look what God has done. God has even set up those that are going to be coming through to clean up the property after the battle takes place. After this huge battle, he's going to just time it where all the birds are going to be coming through and boom, they're going to swoop down. They'll get a good meal on the way. That's, that does, that's not really, I'm sorry, probably not, a, probably not appropriate. But either way, they're going to be fed. 
as they're traveling through. And so just amazing to see how God has set all this up. He says, I will set my glory among the nations. All the nations shall see my judgment, which I have executed and my hand, which I have laid on them. So the house of Israel shall know that I am the Lord, their God from that day forward. So this is the moment they're going to get it. He's our God. We didn't, you know, we didn't realize it. We've been blinded. Our eyes are now open. This is our God. And the secular nation is going to now be believing in God, whether or not it'll be at that instant they know Christ or not. But it's, I don't know, but it's going to be right around that moment at some point. But they're going to recognize that this was supernatural. We didn't do this. God Almighty did this. And notice, even the world's going to know. Look at verse 23. The Gentiles shall know that the house of Israel went into captivity for their iniquity because they were unfaithful to me. Therefore, I hid my face from them. The world's going to be so blown away by God's intervention, they're going to say, you know what? I guess the Bible's true. God really did take them out of the land because of their rebellion against the Messiah. And he really did judge them. And now he's brought them back and now he's protecting them. And so, wow. And this is why the world's going to be ready to make a covenant with the nation of Israel. This is why this world leader, I believe, is going to step on the scene right about now, not now, but then, to say, you know what? This massive destruction of all these armies, the world in, 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 in uproar, who knows where everything's going to be as far as our nation and other nations at this point. And he's going to step on the stage and the world's going to say, we need a savior. We need somebody to keep this from happening to the whole planet. So he's going to make a deal with Israel and all the surrounding nations. And it's going to begin that seven year time clock that God has promised. He's promised seven more prophetic years to the nation of Israel. And it's going to start when the Antichrist again makes that deal. This is going to set the stage for that. The Gentiles are going to know it. The Jews are going to know it. Everybody's going to go along with it initially, but then it will change rapidly as Satan again is going to desire to be worshiped himself. God says, because you, I hid my face from you, but now you're going to see my face. I gave them into the hand of their enemies and they fell by the sword. According to their uncleanness and according to their transgressions, I have dealt with them and I've hidden my face from them. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, now I will bring back the captives of Jacob and have mercy on the entire house of Israel. And I will be jealous for my holy name after they have borne their shame. That is after 2000 years of bearing their shame, scattered around the world. You rejected my son, my only son that I sent for you. I sent for the world, but I sent for you first. The promise I made to Abraham, you're going to bear your shame for that. And now we know it was for 2,000 years. He says, now when that's done, enough, that's enough shame. After they've borne their shame and all their unfaithfulness in which they were unfaithful to me, when they dwelt safely in their own land and no one made them afraid, again, because they're mighty military, when I've brought them back from the peoples and gathered them out of the enemy's lands, and I am hallowed or made holy in them in the sight of many nations... Then, then they shall know that I am the Lord their God who sent them into captivity among the nations, but also brought them back to the land and left none of them captive any longer. Again, God repeats it. The Jews are going to know it and the world's going to know it. I am God and I did this. No man can claim a good military strategy. He says, and I will not hide my face from them anymore. Again, this is where he's noticed, for I have poured out my spirit on the house of Israel, says the Lord God. And that's when, again, the 144,000 will be saved. And it says all Israel will be saved. I don't necessarily think it means every Jew, because Paul says later on in his writings that not all Jews are Israel. He said those that receive Christ are the real Israel. So those that receive Christ, the real Israel, they will be saved Probably other Jews that won't be at that time, but the world's going to know that Jesus is Lord. And guys, I truly believe, again, 
you know, I don't want it to be a thing where you build the hype up and, okay, whatever, this kind of thing doesn't happen. But I look at what's happening in the world. I mean, I don't know how long we've got, but I think we, I think we need to be ready. I think we need to be alert. You know, like I said, regardless of whether it's as soon as I think it is or whether we go to him, we need to be ready. Because one way or another, we're going to be seeing him face to face very soon. But when I look at what's happening right now in the Middle East, and I read this and the such detail that God gives, I mean, the odds of putting all these nations together and having everything exactly the way it is, I mean, it, it defies odds. Especially something written 2,600 years ago. You're reading today's newspaper in Ezekiel 38 and 39. The stage has been set for this prophecy to take place. But is everything in order? What will be the final push to this prophecy being fulfilled? As Pastor Mark encouraged us, we don't know when, but either way, we need to be ready in either outcome. Whether we go home to be with Him before it happens, or for what will take place as a result of this prophecy being fulfilled. Also, as Pastor Mark said, we're not excited for the coming destruction, but we are excited for what our future beyond Ezekiel will be. Will you be with us? We sure hope so, and we hope you'll join us next time as we continue to discuss and learn how the things happening in our world today are pointing to God's prophetic word as signs of the times. Stay connected to solid Bible teaching and music of inspiration 24 hours a day on your desktop, laptop, smartphone, tablet, or even with Amazon Alexa. There's lots of ways to get The Way. Just go to thewaymedia.net and click WIAM Radio to find out which way works best for you. The world has never been without God's fingerprint. They're everywhere, all the time. He's never left us, and He never stops inviting people to return to Him or discover Him. You use His air, eat His food, drink His water, and see the proof of His love every single day. You may dismiss it, deny it exists, and turn your back on what is incredible proof, but you can't live without Him. Sure, your lungs can breathe in and out, your mouth can drink water, but every moment of every day you use God's gifts, and He has more that you've never considered. God's gifts are fresher than a morning status update and should inspire a reason to be satisfied enough to rejoice in some pretty amazing gifts. Breathe deep and remember where that bit of refreshment came from. Eat a meal in gratitude to the one who made your feast. Love others knowing God loved you first. Learn to recognize God's wonderful, amazing, and useful gifts. WIAM 101.1 FM, The Way.
better since I 